In order to truly become part of the global business environment, your business needs to constantly change and adapt to a variety of new constants. Welcome to Leadership Beyond Borders with Kimberly J. Lewis. We will help you navigate these changes on today's program and help you think beyond the boundaries. The opportunities are limitless if you are prepared. Now, here is your host, Kimberly J. Lewis. Hello, and welcome to Leadership Beyond Borders, the program that makes people aware of the best leadership practices, leadership trends, and thoughts about leadership. I am Kimberly Lewis, your host, reaching out to you from Prague in the Czech Republic. So good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you might be listening from. So what is this series about? Um, It's about the impact globalization is having on our organizations and what this impact is doing to the kind of leadership we need to drive long-term success in today's economy. Over the last couple weeks, uh, we've talked about everything from gender balance and leadership to business values that may impact your organization or your individual career. We have kept you up to date on new leadership trends, the challenges leaders face today, and the opportunities that await us. We see it as our job to be your connection to leadership trends, to social trends, and anything that may affect your career. We'll continue to bring you success stories, challenges, and give you practical takeaways. So we'd like to invite you to connect with us. Send us your thoughts and your insights to leadership at gmail.com, leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. You can also read my book, Ponytail Talk, Winning Career Strategies for Women. Join Facebook at Leadership Beyond Borders, Ponytail Talk. Tweet with me, Kimberly Lewis at Leadership GBT, and join our LinkedIn group, Leadership Beyond Borders. So if you're in a leadership position or aspire to be one, regardless if your business is international or local, make sure you join us each week, and we will make sure you take away something useful for either your business or yourself. So on to today's episode, generation gaps. How often do you hear those words? In my leadership training, I have a lot of leaders who come to me and say, can you help me understand how to manage the millennials? I don't understand their values. I don't understand their work ethic. I need a little bit of help. This is normally baby boomers, boomers who come to me. But then I have millennials who come to me for coaching because they cannot figure out how to fit into hierarchical or antiquated organizational structures. So what, it, what I see and what it seems to me is that, that business is getting really complicated today because it's the first time we have four generations working in the workforce. I look at my own company and in finance, I have a financial accountant who was born in 1946. I have another one born in 1987, and they're actually in equally equal positions. And I'm kind of the sandwich person in between. Now, we all get along pretty well. It's not often that easy. But I I do get a sense it is getting easier. Something is pulling us together. We do not always share the same technology now, house, values, expectations, or personal habits. But we are are moving closer. Um, And our next guest is going to help us explain why we are moving closer. There are new forces that are breaking down the traditional generational barriers, forces that we as leaders have to understand if we want to keep pace with business competition or if we just want to keep pace. We often 
talk about generational differences and we talk about the hot topic of how to manage the millennials, okay? But this conversation will eventually become obsolete as we move into the next generation, a generation that is transparent to age. This is Generation Z, and today we're going to talk about what Generation Z is and who they are. And I first would like to say to my listeners, from time to time, because I live in Europe, I may slip and say Generation Z, okay? So excuse me if I do that, because it's Z or Z, um, depending on where you live. So I would like to first welcome our guest today, Dan Keltson, co-author of Generation Z Effect, The Six Forces Shaping the Future of Business, a number one best-selling business book on Amazon.com. Dan is the Chief Innovation Officer of Information Architected, a boutique consulting organization in Boston, Massachusetts, serving clients interested in engaging and empowering their employees with attitudes, skill sets, that complete and help them be the best of the best worldwide. He has over 20 years of cross-industry experience and co-led the groundbreaking research on attitudinal differences and alignments between baby boomers and millennials in one of the earliest Enterprise 2 research projects in 2008-2009. He was also recognized as one of the most influential Enterprise 2 writers of in 2009 by Seek Omega. He is a frequent speaker, keynoting, leading workshops, has been quoted in the Wall Street Journal, The Economist, Information Week, and many other popular publications. So welcome, Dan. Thanks, Kimberly. Glad, glad to be here. And you're you're calling in from Boston. I'm, that's so exciting. My kind of uh, old university town. <laughs> Oh great! <laughs> so, um, so Dan, let's let's start to talking just a little bit about this this philosophy. Um, today, we think in generational boundaries, both in business and private life. And you talk about how this is an, an impediment to w- moving us forward. Can you explain, you know, why we're doing this and what impedes us in this thinking? Sure. Uh, so, from the the setup for the the session here. I think you nailed it uh, pretty nicely. There's this idea of generational gaps or generational chasms that's been around for about 60 years. It was popularized by author Margaret Mead back in the 60s. And um, she quickly recognized that uh, she sort of misspoke and uh, and added a little bit of extra energy to an idea that wasn't quite right. Uh, she actually clarified within about a month of, of that initial publication that she meant that the gaps were not chasms that we couldn't possibly ever cross, that there was, uh, that our generations were so different that they were effectively alien to each other. Um, it was, it was really about the life experiences that we each go through. Every generation goes through as we're going through our formative years from childhood through early adulthood, which is when our personalities and behaviors are kind of locked in. So, uh, unfortunately, 60 years later, we're still dealing with this Pandora's box that she opened up. And it's a persistent myth that gets reinforced all the time. It's why I got involved in this uh, about 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And, and it essentially claims that we're, we're all aliens if we're from different generations. And even more troubling, perhaps, that if we're from the same generation, that we're the same. Both of those are not at all true. They're true enough that they give us a little bit of comfort, but it inevitably causes some pain, um, both in the workplace, where you do have situations where... Uh, there are younger people who actually are more interested in becoming managers, 
who rise faster as managers than people who may be older and, and perhaps do not have any interest in being managers. So it causes some tension in the age difference there and, and the responsibilities. Uh, your own situation is, is interesting. People of, of very different ages that are at the same uh, level, essentially, organizationally. You know, is that for some people that upsets them. For others, it doesn't matter. They're happy doing their job, and it, and it really makes no difference. But for those that are very sensitive to it, then uh, this this whole idea that unfortunately was unleashed about 60 years ago has caused a lot of problems in the workplace, um, in in the marketplace generally, and uh, just a lot of misunderstanding that I think is completely avoidable. So what kind of, I, I mean, I see, I see this in the organization, I've seen this in a lot of organizations, and and is this because we ourselves do this and, and then it impacts the organization, or is it the organization looking at it from a structural saying, well, here's the millennials, here's the uh, here's the baby boomers, um, how does, you know, we talk about what, what me did, or her, but that had some impact, but, but it still goes on today, so Who's who's making that impact? Is it ourselves or the organizations? Yeah, so I, I think there's there's plenty of blame to go around. Probably, um, <laughs> this is the nature of stereotypes. I mean, there's, there's always some kernel of truth to a stereotype. Otherwise, it wouldn't have been created in the first place. Uh, the the problem is that it just it's uh, once you don't if you never kind of peel back what's behind that stereotype that you run into problem. Um, you know, the the movement in recent years that we call big data is all about no longer having to say that, you know, 80 million people, 90 million people in any given generation are the same, or that all men are the same, or that all women are the same, or that all married people are the same, or on and on. We can get much more specific. So the underlying tone of, of the Gen Z effect is really honing in on individual behavior or much smaller group behavior instead of throwing everybody, you know, you can't even say that 100 people are the same, let alone... 90 million people in a generation. So there's just part of it is just, it's just realize, you know, stopping to examine the assumptions that we have on these stereotypes and really looking at, okay, beyond the surface level, yes, all millennials are constantly on their phones. Guess what? So is everybody else because we all have smartphones and many of us have multiple <laughs> yeah. smartphones. So it's, you know, it doesn't take very long to go past that, that surface level discussion and realize that we're actually missing a lot of opportunity. And it's, um, and it's reinforced by the media. Uh, it's it's reinforced by uh, organizational decisions made many decades ago that haven't yet been killed off. Um, there's there's kind of a lot of baggage in the academia still as well. So it's uh, that's why I've essentially treated it as my personal mission and my professional mission uh, of the last ten years to try and undo this damage because I for me I'm I'm trying to unleash opportunity instead of sort of limit it. Do you think? Why do you think there is so much hype around um, the millennials? Okay, it seemed like mm. when that generation, you know, that generation. If you're talking about age group generation, I'm keeping it in that age group sure. block. Came along, mm. um, it, it just was this major panic with everybody, uh, and you know, we don't know how to manage them. There's seminars on this, and and right. everything. <laughs> you know, I mean, really, do you know why? Do you have any insights to that? Yeah, so it's it's kind of funny. There's there's a great saying that youth is wasted on the young, uh, which I I definitely uh, feel myself. Uh, there, there are things that I know now that I wish I knew 20 years ago that would have been very handy to know. Um, and the energy that uh, that we have uh, when we're younger is you know normally it's much more than you have when it's 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years later. Um, so I think it's everything about every change that's come through society, come through technologically in the last. 50 to 60 years, it's all been accelerating. 
And to a certain extent, that uh, that change seems impossible to keep up with. Uh, you know, as you grow older, you typically get more responsibilities, and those responsibilities can add up. And many people have a tough time saying no to new responsibilities, so it just continues to pile up. And then some some new generation comes along that seems to have it very easy. You know, they don't have to do all the pain that you had to live through. Uh, you know, early days of computers were frankly very user hostile. Uh, the trend towards being user friendly means that it's just much easier to use computers and not even think that you're using a computer by talking to your phone, for example, and having it look things up for you. Uh, so there's, I think there's a certain amount of jealousy behind it that the younger generation did not have to go through all the pains that uh, older generations might have gone through. And there's a certain amount of pride that you survived that journey if, if, you, <laughs> if you were living through it. But that doesn't, it doesn't mean it's rational necessarily. I mean, you can rationalize anything, but... Uh, it's, I think it's a certain amount of jealousy. On the other hand, uh, you know, all the technology that millennials use today were, for the most part, created by Gen X and boomers. Right. Uh, because that's the way it works. I mean, that there yes. are definitely entrepreneurs uh, who are creating brand new technology right now who are uh, Gen Y and Gen Z. Um, but for the most part, all the things that are more or less the, the, uh, the precursors to all of this instant on-demand stuff that we are all addicted to, you know, it was created sometime in the last 50 years, typically by the, the generation that is complaining about the newer generation taking it <laughs> all for granted. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, well, you, you're, you, talk, you talk a lot about, you know, forgetting the, forgetting the generations and thinking post-generational. Mm. And you just touched on the technology a little bit as, uh, as one of the driving, driving forces um, pulling us together. Could you talk about what you mean by post-generational and, and maybe how technology is also having an effect on that? Yeah, so um, so it's interesting. So so Tom, my co-author, and I were both sort of um, so we're both futurists. Uh, I call myself a pragmatic futurist. So I, I, I like to live in the now uh, and help people to see where the future is and where their their role is in that in that future. So I'm not um, I'm not a doe-eyed optimist about a lot of things. Uh, I I just know from the experience that I've had in the last. 10 years explicitly and probably the previous 20 years, 25 years or so of my career, that uh, the most successful organizations that I've seen have not allowed themselves to live with sort of artificial boundaries, like a generation can only do this, can only be managers, can only be newly hired, can only you know, do this, that, or the other thing. So uh, what I've seen is if you set that aside and you really hone in more on behavior and and uh, really kind of uh, hone your hiring process and the way that you retain people, the way that you reach out to partners and suppliers and others. If you go deeper than that, then you just uh, you simply have more success. It's it's counterintuitive because it's it's um, it's still not normal to think that way, and it's not talked about as often as it should be. But that's um, that's definitely a driver, some more from a societal standpoint. And on the technology side, I mean technology um, has been running rampant. We have a lot of stats in the book, which I. Fortunately, do not memorize because we can just look them up. But um, that's that's the wonderful thing that I like about Google in, in the modern world. We don't have to go to the library necessarily to to find these yes. things out anymore. Um, so technology is you know continues to um, accelerate. New things come along all the time. Uh, one of the uh, six forces that we talk about in the book is called slingshotting, and that's what happens when suddenly the cost of any given technology becomes both inexpensive enough and the price is no longer a barrier for most people. And further, that the usability of the technology is user-friendly. 
uh, and it does not require that you have a degree in computer science, for example. And the most important piece is that it's actually useful to people. Uh, when all three of those things happen, then it, um, it gives people a reason to want to use the technology, not just because they're addicted to technology, like I'm, I'm a very early adopter of most technologies. Most people I know are not. That's about 90% of the world are not the ones that want to be the first ones to try something. Yeah. But once you have that combination, then you get a, a huge swarm of people that previously were kind of invisible, and uh, all of a sudden they just suddenly appear on the marketplace. And it, that unleashes a lot of energy that really creates a kind of an unbelievable wave of energy. So, so with that, I mean, who is Generation X? Okay, is is that an age, or is that all of us? And um, yeah, yeah but, <laughs> yes. So Gen Gen Z is the generation. So Gen uh, Z, sorry, Z. Yes. Oh, sorry. Okay. Or, sorry. Or Z or Z or. or Z, I said again. See, I knew yes. I'd say about that. Okay. <laughs> so that's the fun thing about the uh, the living the world instead of just yes. a single country. Um, so so it's. So there's a lot of problems with generational labels. Um, the labels themselves are sort of arbitrary. Um, you know, just because we started with Gen X as the the first uh, al you know, alpha character after boomers was kind of an accident, and we continued it with Gen We, Gen Y, or millennials, as a lot of people know them. So Gen Z seems like the next standard we might as well use to to label another generation. And on Gen, Gen Z are those who were born between 1995 to 2015, roughly. Um, but even the even the numbers on when the start and end date of a generation is very vague. It's it's actually been quite vague since uh, since the time of the boomers. It's um, depending on who you talk to. It's very very different. So that's between the label being vague and the time frame being vague. I think those are some early red flags as to why um, thinking of generations as anything terribly stable is, is a bit dangerous. Uh, so Gen Z is now, um, if you thought you weren't ready for millennials, you're probably not ready for Gen Z either, because uh, millennials have actually been in the workforce now for 10 to 15 years, depending on when they were born. And Gen Z is, is entering the workforce, or if they were entrepreneurs, as many of them are, they've already started their first company, or at least their first entrepreneurial project, and they've been in the workforce potentially for years. We have some some of the case studies in the book are, you know, an eight-year-old and a thirteen-year-old that, um, you know, actually created some very revolutionary uh, medical devices, among other things. And um, they didn't—they didn't want to wait till they got to twenty-five to enter the workforce. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, so, well, you know, you did tell—you told a story in your book um, that I'd—I'd I'd love. And before the—before we start to get into gen the forces in Generation Z, I, I, if you could just um, maybe share with the listeners that that story with um, the friend of yours and and how this Generation Z is actually seeing that objects have behaviors. Um, the the little girl who was playing yes. memory—that's sure. a great story. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So. Um, you know, so childhood is a is a interesting time. Everything seems kind of magical to kids, and they they have no idea how things work. So they learn from direct experience. Uh, so it was actually a, a friend of Tom, my co-author. Uh, he had a, a friend who I also know, uh, Lynn, whose daughter Julia was two years old at the time that she relayed this to us. And one of Julia's toys was, uh, as was true, this was three years ago now, uh, of thirty eight percent of peddlers in American households at the time was a tablet. In this case, it was an iPad. And um, as adorable little two-year-olds will say, she calls it her pad, uh, not the iPad. 
And uh, if she did not have it at hand, she would cry for it the way an earlier generation might have cried for a teddy bear or a pacifier or, or anything else that was very common at that time. And one of her favorite games on the iPad is the classic game of concentration, where you try to find two matching cards by flipping them over, remembering what you saw, and then you know finding pairs. And she played this game constantly, endlessly, and with the same delight every time at getting a match. And because it was on an iPad, it had visual effects, you know, explosions and sound effects that signified that you found a match or you did not. And uh, Lynn thought that was adorable, and she wanted to share the experience that she had of playing the original card game of Concentration. And so she found uh, a deck of cards and laid them out, and Julia recognized what was happening, that they were about to play Concentration. And she was very excited until it came time to play with the physical cards. She tapped a card... And nothing happened. She tapped another card, and nothing happened. She tapped it harder, nothing happened. She got harder still, nothing. And ultimately, she flew into a rage, burst into tears, and had no idea what was going on, other than she was very upset that this was yeah. not going as planned, scattered the cards all over the floor, and was inconsolable. So the, the, the idea there is that, uh, so she had gotten used to the idea of smart digital cards. That's, mm. That was what was normal to her. The stupid uh, paper cards were no fun. It was not yeah. at all the same experience. And, you know, I sort of, I recognize that myself. It's true. Yeah, it is. Well, Dan, um, thank you. We're going to take a small break. And when we come back, I'd like to talk to you about the forces that are going to propel us forward and help us embrace Generation Z um, and the forces forming the Z effect. To our listeners, uh, if you want to learn more about the Z effect, you can Visit Dan's website at www.thegenzeffect.com. And you can even take a test there to see how much of a zeer you are. You can contact Dan at, at Dan Kelson on Twitter, at Dan Kelson on LinkedIn, and under the G, the Generations, uh, I almost said Z again, the Generation <laughs> Z Effect um, um, on Facebook. And please remember, contact me at leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. And we'll see you after the break. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjog All at CIO Talk Network. Are you a business innovator or are you just sitting on the sidelines? 
Tune in every week for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Host Bonnie D. Graham talks to a cross-section of the movers and shakers who are leading by example. They will share best practices and innovative ideas to keep you thinking and moving along with the best. Join us for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP, Wednesday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Leadership Beyond Borders. Do you have a question or comment about our show? Please send an email to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Again, that's leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Now back to this week's program. Welcome back to Leadership Beyond Borders, the Voice America's exciting new series on the Business Network. I am your host, Kimberly J. Lewis, the seasoned executive leadership and diversity expert. And today we're talking with Dan Keldson, co-author of Gen Z Effect, The Six Forces Shaping the Future of Business. Dan is joining us today from Boston, one of my favorite cities, and I'm joining you from Prague in the Czech Republic. So we really are leaderships beyond borders. And we're talking about breaking down the generational barriers and the forces that are going to create a new generation, the Generation Z, that will not be based on age, but based on behavior. So, Dan, and I'd like to explore with you a little bit about these six forces that you have have talked about. Um, and maybe, you know, you could start with the one you think is probably the most important and um, to help our listeners understand them. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah, I, it's, uh, it is always a challenge to talk through all six forces in a limited amount of time. So I think picking and choosing is a little more effective. Uh, so the the foundation is breaking generations. Uh, so this is the this is the notion that, um, as we sort of outlined already a little bit, uh, that just the, the the raw statistical power is the the fact is that population has changed over thousands of years. It used to be what was called the population pyramid, uh, where if you plotted out the uh, the number of people in in every age band uh, in in five year segments, the shape of that pyramid from birth, you know, zero through five, six through ten, etc., on up to death, would continue to shrink as you climb the pyramid because we all start at the bottom, and then sooner or later, we end up exiting uh, the planet at some point as we climb up the pyramid. That shape has been changing over time because we're all living longer. Um, you know, healthcare is better, uh, nutrition is better, everything about the modern world is typically it's more likely that you're going to live longer than it than you would have, you know, 50 years, 100 years, certainly thousands of years ago. So as a result, 
that that means that uh, we currently have four generations working side by side, and we're about to have five generations working side by side by 2020, and as many as 15 generations by the year 2080, which I know seems like it's a fair amount in the distance, but wow. it's uh, it'll be here <laughs> sooner than we than we all think. I hope. <laughs> uh, and so so kind of the premise is. Uh, if you currently have problems in your workplace because you look at other generations around you or other generations look at you and say that you're the problem because you're too young or you're too old, once we get to the point where we have 15 generations, you can't really expect to look at 14 people around you and say everybody else is the problem and, mm-hmm. and I'm not. Uh, so if, if we're going to head that off, then we really need to rethink what is what does the workforce look like? And uh, it's another reason to me, to jettison the baggage that uh, generations are so different that we can't possibly get along. So we're all human. We all exhibit certain behaviors. We all go through certain learning cycles from from birth through early adulthood, particularly, and then you know impacting the workforce. And um, we need to come to grips with the fact that we actually have a lot more in common than we do um, that disconnects us. So that's kind of the idea of breaking generations that we we just we can't afford to do this anymore. Because the, the baggage that we've carried uh, is only building up walls. What we really need are bridges. And that's how I typically describe myself as a bridge maker and a bridge builder. And the people that I tend to work with in most organizations have similar roles, whether they're in HR or product management or marketing or whatever they happen to be in. Uh, they're really about uh, knocking down walls and building bridges because knocking down the walls themselves doesn't always do the trick. Mm. Uh, so that's, that's kind of the foundation. So if you're, it, you know, we have a lot of leaders out there, managers out there, mm. um, and we're talking about breaking this generation. Would you have any advice for them on on how to do that? Um, you know, this is this is a force that that's this is really can make a lot of impact. And, yes. And any any tips for them out there? Sure. You know? Yes. So uh, so I guess I, sh- I should mention that we, we called the book The Gen Z Effect instead of just focusing on uh, Gen Z or Generation Z, uh, be- because the simple fact is that we're all ex- we all exist currently in the same atmosphere, uh, same environment. We're all taking advantage of all these things, the six forces that we talk about in the Gen Z effect. So um, it's, you know, the younger generation happened to grow straight into it. Uh, for others, we've had to learn our way into it and sometimes unlearn some things that we picked up along the way that are no longer relevant, like how do you use command lines, hopefully. Uh, so uh, the, one, of the, one of the biggest realizations that I've come to in my career, and I've actually spent a lot of time working on innovation um, projects, how to build more innovative teams, uh, how to, to find the people that are going to lead those teams, uh, those that are definitely not ripe for that kind of team, and there's lots of different roles to play out there, so it's um, there's plenty of room for everybody. But there's a model that I've borrowed from uh, Jeffrey Moore's book, Crossing the Chasm, which came out around 20 years ago. Uh, he essentially has a bell curve model, uh, which he also borrowed from Rogers and Everett. They called it Diffusions of Innovation. And the nugget of that is that any given innovation is not taken up instantly by everybody in the market or everybody in your organization. There's actually a pretty predictable shape that, that uh, any change will go through if it survives the journey. And that is early adopters, the ones who see the opportunity and want to be a part of making it happen, even if it's not clear where it's going to go. Uh, that's part of what drives them. There are innovators after that who um, want to be the fast followers. That's sometimes how it's called, that they see that somebody else is, oh, there's something exciting over here. I'm going to be a part of that. But they're not the first ones in. And then there's the chasm, as Jeffrey Mark calls it. And that's where 
potentially a new product goes to die because it, it fell into the chasm and did not survive the journey to the next stage, which is mainstream. That's where the vast majority of people uh, finally pick up the idea. And then eventually it goes over the hump to late mainstream and the laggards are the ones who want everything proven out. They do not believe in accepting any risk themselves. Yeah. Um, they're not interested in innovation, but it just becomes so cheap and so reliable that it just makes sense to mm -hmm. adopt it. So that's often used in product management um, circles, and that's where it kind of came from. But I've used it a lot in uh, trying to do similar change management techniques within organizations. And you basically go, go hunting to find people that are in those different segments, and they have very different behaviors. Mm -hmm. So for me, I, I borrow a lot from uh, anthropology, and I go out and talk to people, and I interview people, and I find other people and who they hang out with. It might be in different uh, geographic locations or in different departments, different levels of the organization. And I try to help them string together the connections through their internal network that will help them make changes um, kind of organically instead of trying to decree it from the top down, which often is ejected by the workers in the organization. And this is this is really um, pushing diversity through the team, basically. Mm. Um, yeah, because I, I work a lot with um, diversity and unconscious bias, and what I'm hearing from you is 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 kind of what we preach on: just make sure you have that cross team where you're bringing people in, and then then it's probably um, kind of homogeneous that then it starts to break down not just generations, but of course cultures too. Um, sure. And 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 what about cross mentoring? I mean, that for me, if I was a leader, that might be kind of something fun to to try to implement um, to break down generations i remember there was a movie a while ago with who was it robert de niro i think or somebody with the cross mentoring when he went in as an apprentice um oh. have, you, have you seen yes. any yet have you actually experienced companies doing this any cross mentoring sure yeah so uh, so we found in our research which was over a thousand companies that responded to the to the survey uh, and we interviewed something like 150 people or so from lots of different organizations, uh, technolo technologically focused, big box retailers, all sorts of things. And um, we found that, you know, so the idea of mentoring from an older to younger generation has been around for quite a long time. It's still not used uh, anywhere near as much as it should be. Um, so there's a lot of potential right there. And on the flip side, the idea of reverse mentoring, where the young are mentoring the old, uh, often on technology or on societal changes that they may not be aware of. Um, you know, I, I understand not from personal experience that dating is quite different these days for 20-somethings <laughs> uh, versus when I was 20. Uh, so there's, there's something you can definitely learn in both directions. And the healthiest organizations that I see are those that are, that are trying to cross-pollinate. And I wouldn't say they're trying to make it homogenous. Uh, I, I think they're trying to build understanding between um, between different generations and different kind of levels of the hierarchy, because that that information flowing in both directions means that no, we're we're all less likely to get caught off guard by something, um, because we couldn't be bothered to take the time to learn it on ourselves, and it it builds a lot of camaraderie. And um, I'm also a big believer in collaboration. I, there's a saying that if you want to go, um, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Uh, and I definitely believe in that. And I've seen um, some teams that were at surfaced uh, at, a, at a glance. It seemed like they were a ragtag team that was doomed to fail. 
but because they actually did work together as a team, they pulled uh, strengths from everywhere in that team and created some amazing outcomes. And uh, that's the kind of stuff that really gets me fired up and I think gets leaders yeah. excited to see that they there's there's talent and energy that they haven't tapped, but they could if they spend a little bit of time to uh, to go mining for it, basically. And that that kind of leads into um, one of one of the other forces you talk about about um, you know tapping talent and uh, you say that one of the forces is going to be adopting the world as my classroom. Mm. Uh, you could talk a little, a little bit about what that what you mean by that. Sure. Yeah. So I, I think it's um, it's very common that uh, a lot of organizations are frankly not very good at training up. Uh, even new hires into the jobs that they're coming into, and often even worse at at keeping them relevant uh, over the course of their career. So uh, for me, as someone, I'm a I'm a lifelong learner. I personally feel if I'm not learning something every day or unlearning something for that matter, that there's really no point in being around. So I'm I'm totally driven to uh, to learn, uh, as are most of the organizations that I have the pleasure of working with. Uh, and so it's the the idea of adopting the world as my classroom is both from a traditional educational standpoint, um, all of the online courses that are available now, the rise of Khan Academy, K-H-A-N Academy, which is a fantastic resource for uh, especially anybody that has kids and wants to get essentially world-class education for free on any uh, you know, grade school through um, uh, primary school uh, education, but also embedding that into the workforce. Mm-hmm. And uh, and not uh, not boring people to sleep in forced compliance, um, you know, day long events, but more of a uh, just in time and on demand standpoint, which are much smaller nuggets. They're often uh, very very tied to specific outcomes instead of just general knowledge that you may or may not use. And uh, a lot of it is borrowed from the gaming world. Those game designers are very very good at keeping people engaged. And figuring out where they are, are having problems, and uh, I, I'm lucky enough that I've actually worked with a couple of people who ended up becoming game designers. One of the case studies in the book is of a game called Rocksmith, which is essentially uh, the world's best way to learn how to play guitar um, certifiably. And I actually studied music at Berkeley, Berkeley College of Music, um, and I can I can say that you can learn far more using Rocksmith than even the best. Um, very personal education that you might get. I think it's 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 clearly there's there's reasons to use both. But if uh, if you thought you could not play guitar at any age, uh, I would highly recommend that people see that for themselves and experience it. And that that whole idea of uh, of putting in even small kind of pushes to uh, to increase the amount of education, the amount of knowledge that people have in the workforce, has a huge amount of benefit to keep those people engaged and believe that they have a role that's ongoing in the organization. Mm-hmm. And it certainly makes it more attractive to bring new hires in if they see that the organization cares about them enough to want to help them to continue to grow as people and as employees. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think when I was thinking about this and I was reading this, I was, I was laughing to myself because um, my mother's 80 and she's always telling me she's taking these online classes. And I, I don't know what they are, but uh, <laughs> it's, always, it's always like, well, I just took this class and actually I just got a new certificate. And and I think so. I think it's I, honestly with 80 and um, and I oh. think it's just I think it's just not I, I don't think it's just in in the workplace. I think one of the things you talk about about too is that we're giving educational opportunities 
to populations that didn't have them before. And technology is yeah. just fueling that forward. Um, and it's giving us so much more talent to choose from. Um, did you Have you seen any of that in your studies? And, and you know, what are businesses thinking about there? Are they, are they reaching out for this talent? Or are they just kind of still staying in their little safe sphere there? Yeah. 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 So, <laughs> of course, uh, a combination of both. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I, I keep, uh, I keep scouring the news and I have a, I have a, a whole lot of slides, uh, where I highlight people who just ran their first marathon at the age of 104. Uh, you know, a 90 year old woman who got hired by IDEO, one of the world's most famous design companies, uh, out of San Francisco. Uh, there, there are a lot of people like them. Clearly they're, you know, they're not the majority. I'm not going to claim mm-hmm. that, but, um, you know, for a lot of people that's, that see, the, the whole uh, sort of class warfare between generations as a as a threat. You know, the the young are only a threat to the old because they're younger, faster, better, cheaper, whatever they happen to be. Um, and the old are the, the curmudgeons that refuse to retire or get out of the way <laughs> for the younger generation. Uh, that just it causes um, a bunch of grief that doesn't really need to to exist. And you can find plenty of examples of of people who are. Um, of older generations who have radically transformed their careers. I know a fair number of people who have had four to six very radically different careers, different industries, di- totally different roles. And it wasn't always a traditional climb the corporate ladder sort of um, move. It was often very diagonal. And there clearly there are folks that, again, you know, a little outlier, but um, somebody like Mark Zuckerberg, who mm-hmm. dropped out of Harvard, <laughs> out of Harvard and was already a billionaire by the time most people were, would still be busy paying off their Harvard degrees. So, yeah, that's true. <laughs> there's so, plenty of examples on, yeah, on either extreme. Yeah. And, and I think that really opens up, um, uh, it just it, for me, I look at the, the aspect of being able to build what you said before, these diverse teams and, and with different kinds of knowledge and culturally bringing people in. And, of course, here in the European Union, we have very mixed cultural teams um, mm-hmm. uh, because, of, because of the, the agreement between uh, the work agreements between the member states here. So it's, it's really quite fun. And I think, think that it, we're seeing a little bit of more of that in the United States. Um, and it's just, it changes the balance and it changes the perspective. And I think it really fuels innovation. But when we're talking about technology, I'd like to, I'd really like to go one of the things that, one of the forces you talked about that, that kind of said, maybe say, a, oh yes, okay, aha moment, mm. was the affluence to influence um, and how, how technology is driving that, media is driving that. Could you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So, um, as somebody who was, uh, I was certainly not born rich. <laughs> I've, I've always wondered what's it like to be rich. <laughs> and also in the absence of being wealthy, uh, what can I do to increase my own, uh, ability to influence others, uh, in an ethical way. And, uh, there has been a significant shift in the ability to both build traditional wealth or capital and social capital or, or personal influence, professional influence, and that's been coming for quite a while now. Um, it's the the fact is that you do you no longer need to own printing presses and radio stations and TV stations, uh, or you know the the destination websites of of the good old days of Yahoo and Excite and other sort of um, cornerstones of of the web. 
Um, from a personal standpoint, you can build your own influence online. Uh, it's certainly how I've operated and have had a, uh, a fair amount of success by becoming known for certain things like generation, you know, caring about generations and how to build bridges between generations, the enterprise 2.0 movement before that. And it was not because I poured money into making that happen. It was because I put effort into building a reputation online that people could verify for themselves and that um, also lives on because it, I didn't have to pay for it and that ad is gone uh, after I've spent the money. So that, that works not just for individuals, it works for uh, organizations. One of the um, organizations we profiled in the book is called Free the Children. Uh, it's actually been renamed since then and I'm forgetting what the name is now. But they were, and I believe still are, the largest nonprofit organization on Facebook. And that growth came, and this is millions and millions of people, and that came not at all from paid media. It was all what's known as owned and earned media, mm -hmm. uh, which really is what reflects the, the value that you've put into, um, into the market and into, um, into your community that is reflected back to you, that they verify that you are doing good work and that they want to see more of it and they may they may fund you on your behalf uh, through crowdfunding projects for example which have uh, you know, have raised billions and billions of dollars at this point and takes the focus away from traditional capital bankers and Wall Street and venture capitalists and, and folks like that and puts it more directly into a connection with uh, the community that wants to support you not just by clapping on the back, but also financially supporting you and helping you go to market and be successful. And to me, that's that's pretty exciting because that that means that you really do have a firm grasp on your community is you and your and they are you, uh, and it's kind of a uh, has much more power behind the long term impact of how likely is your community and your movement going to live. Yeah. And that that yeah, I mean, that really we we see that every day and we see this in in by this, you know, for example, this crowdfunding um, for people who probably had absolutely no access to to capital mm. for or by building their own reputation and, and getting out there. And so I think that's a tremendous force. And it, and it, and it leads a little bit into I, I just want to touch on you had three other forces and just kind of quickly touch on those because I, I want to get a little bit of advice for you from our listeners before we leave. But your sure. other one would be life hacking, slingshot, slingshotting and hyperconnectivity. Can you just sure. say a couple words about each of those? Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, I mean, I love talking about all of these, so we can yeah. talk endlessly. <laughs> uh, so hyperconnectivity is, um, I mean, the, the shortcut for that would be, uh, you know, networks, specifically the internet uh, is a huge force that I think we're still coming to grips with what that means. And for those who care about net neutrality, you should pay attention to that because, um, you know, it right now the internet is a nice democratic sort of evening the field uh, sort of platform but that could change if uh, certain laws come into place that make it more likely that it's kind of tiered in a way that penalizes people who can't afford to be on there. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> the uh, th There's a lot we could talk about about hyperconnectivity, but I, I, I think that's probably the, the kind of core of it is that um, networks power significant um, effects that you can layer on top of it. So like the online influence, there is no online influence if there is no online to be online. <laughs> um, so the network has to exist for you to take advantage of it. Uh, slingshotting, uh, that's a term that I came up with. 
uh, as Tom and I were originally writing the book, we were trying to narrow down. There's endless things that we could talk about, but what's really the core of it? And because uh, both Tom and I have spent a lot of time working with teams to foster innovation and, and build smart innovation teams and kind of get outsized results as a, as a result of that effort, the idea of slingshotting is that uh, you can essentially take millions, tens of millions, maybe hundreds of millions of people at a time and literally have them slingshot over some technological generations that um, they were not willing to suffer through is kind of what it comes down to. So for me, I'm an early adopter. I've, uh, you know, I've had a computer uh, for 37 years or so, which was, was kind of early. And um, I've done a whole lot of things that most people would not in their right mind do. Uh, the early days of modems and dial-up and yeah. you know, assembling your own computers and all that kind of stuff. So normal human beings, as it turns out, don't want to do that. <laughs> and they would rather just have devices that work for them right. and, um, you know, f finger-based systems and voice-based systems yeah. and things like that. Uh, and lastly, the life hacking. To, we sort of corrupted the meaning of that uh, a little bit, Tom and I, when we were writing about this. Part of it is about uh, alternatives for funding, so crowdfunding in, in particular. And, you know, it's, it's had some problems in the last year or so with, with some high-profile projects that failed miserably and took people's money with it, but those are also still more anomalies and the platforms are dealing with it. But life hacking really comes down to us. It's about looking at any sort of accepted, normally accepted rules and taking a fresh look at them to say, is this really a hard and fast rule or is it time to, to kind of slide, you know, slice through the Gordian knot? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that I mean, these these are the last three, and for our listeners, of the six six forces um, that is in Dan's book, and I really urge you to to take a look at that and read it. It's really really interesting. And and Dan, I just want to I, I want to wrap up a little bit um, because the the whole point of this is, and, I, and what I took from your book is. We, no matter what generation we are, okay, um, we should be forgetting those generation ge generational barriers um, and embracing these forces that are coming to us. And you have a little test, okay, that in, in your book. And I took that test, and I'm going to now reveal to you what my <laughs> score was, okay? My sure. score was 740. So am I that antiquated or not? Or <laughs> <laughs> This seems like a trick question. Uh. <laughs> Go ahead. You can tell me I could be better. Okay. So, no, I, I just think, I think for our listeners, um, it was a really interesting way to take the test because, because some of the questions that I, when I was taking it, I was looking and I said, I said, well, I kind of do that, but. you the way you had it, like, do you do this all the time or do you do this part of the time? And, mm -hmm. um, I thought it was really interesting. So I think it just as we're kind of wrapping up, you know, just a couple words on the test and then a couple words to our listeners on, on what they can do themselves to propel, propel themselves forward sure. to these changes. Sure. Yeah, so the, the test is, um, so again, it's kind of tied to behavior. So we're, we're trying to give people um, some signs of whether they or their organization or their team, whatever level you're looking at it, are kind of ready and primed to embrace the Gen Z effect or if they're uh, maybe it's not yet their time or they have some work to do, maybe they have some fears to overcome or they don't quite see the reason why, why they should embrace this. So it's, it's really kind of perfect world. It's meant to polarize people into either the camp that says, yes, I love the Gen Z effect and I want to do more of this and I'm already doing some of it. And then the others who think, 
wow, I'm so far behind that I better do something or else I'm not going to be relevant anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the people that are in between that, um, you know, frankly, I found are very hard to work with because they haven't decided what they want to do yet is what it mm-hmm. really comes down to. So if you're all in, that's great. Happy to work with you. If you want to be all in but, and realize that it's now is time, then you've basically, you're about to flip over into that, that other camp and that's a wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, uh, so the, that's kind of the purpose of the test. You know, some of it's a little tongue-in-cheek as well. Uh, I wouldn't say it's a humor test necessarily, but, uh, you know, people that can uh, laugh at themselves and some of the stuff that they do, uh, I think is also a very healthy sign of a, of a person and a culture that uh, supports kind of re-examining itself. Uh, so there's a little bit of that behind the scenes as well. Yeah, that's and, super. And I think it's, um, the, the test in, in general, it's, it's really, uh, it comes down to, if you take an honest look at yourself and your organization, your team, whatever it is that we're talking about, are you hurting or helping yourself when it comes to your competition? Um, if you are behind, is that on purpose? You know, there are, there are totally different stances that companies have. You know, Walmart is a very different beast than Whole Foods is, which is very different than Apple is, which is very different than IBM is or Tesla or you know any other organization. And the, they're they're different for a reason. That's actually that yeah. is their business. So if if you so, look at that, that can be um, that can be very useful. Yeah, and I, I think I really just want to just continue and just say one more time. I think for for me, what I took uh, took out of it, it was really a great learning experience, and I, I I I thank you for putting it out there because it's something that we don't always think about, and um, and as a leader and. Um, uh, a coach, I, I took it and it reflected and I would like to encourage everybody to do that and to also uh, take a look at your book. Um, it's just, it's, it, it makes you think. And I had a couple incidences in the, in the last couple of weeks that it, that it really thought. So uh, Dan, I'd like to really thank you today for joining us. Okay. And I'd like to just tell our listeners, um, we've been talking to Dan Keltson again, the Gen Z effect, the six forces of shaping the future of business, and his book is on on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and most online bookstores. For those of you interested in getting in touch with Dan, you can reach him over the website at www.thegenzeffect.com. You can reach him at Twitter at Dan Kelson. And also there's a Twitter, the Gen, uh, Gen Z Effect, mm-hmm. at LinkedIn, Dan Kelson, and on Facebook, the Gen Z Effect. And really thank you so much. This has been this is tremendous and enlightening. And um, uh, listeners, please go online, test yourself, be brave, take the <laughs> test, and try to move yourself into the Generation Z. So thank you, Dan. Thank you. Okay. So I just, I really, this was, this idea of no generation is, is really great because when we think in generations, what I learned is we tend to lose too much talent. I think about baby boomer, boomers who are out there with tons of experience but cannot find a position because they're over 50. My advice to the baby boomers would be turn yourself into a generation Zer. Very often, we also tend not to give the young millennials positions because we do not think they're experienced enough, but maybe we should pair them up with the baby boomers and do some cross-mentoring. That's exactly what Dan and I talked about, and it seems to be working in quite a few companies out there. 
And the other thing that always that made me think when I started to to look at this series was that age is not that transparent as it was. Besides the fact that we live healthier lifestyles, look better, we have virtual workplaces today that make it difficult to tell the age of a person you are chatting with or emailing with or in a virtual meeting with. So why don't we just kind of forget about age? If we really want to embrace the Z effect, we really need to toss out our traditional hiring practices, toss them out the window. We have to reevaluate what we need in leadership. We have to embrace a global talent pool that is available from the technology and the learning that we have today. And we also have to really embrace changes in ourselves. So once again, I challenge you to take Dan's test on the website and find new ways to develop yourself. Uh, One way to develop yourself a little bit better is uh, also with learning experiences. And at Leadership Beyond Borders, we're going to be having a class uh, coordinated with the Academy of Executive Coaching in September at Wellesley University in Boston. The the class is on effective executive coaching, systemic coaching, which takes a look at behaviors in the entire systemic environment of the organization. So if you'd like to join us for this class, you can find more information at aoecboston.com or leadershipbeyondborders at gmail. The class is done by the AOEC in London as well as coordinated with Leadership Beyond Borders. Leadership Beyond Borders is a program sponsored by Global Business Therapy, SRO in the Czech Republic and the Women's Leadership Academy 2020 in Europe as well as Ponytail Talk Executive Coaching for Women. We provide leadership training, systemic team coaching, motivational speaking and much more. If you'd like to contact me, your host Kimberly J. Lewis, please send me an email at leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Visit my website at leadershipbeyondborders.net or join me on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Now, until next week, my leadership phrase for today is be Gen Z or in European, be Gen Z. Thank you. Till next week. Thank you for joining us on Leadership Beyond Borders. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Kimberly J. Lewis, on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.